Hi, everybody, and welcome to Humanity First. My name is Peter Evers, and uh, we have a guest on the show who is well-known to a lot of BAMSI employees, Dr. Rick Herman. Hi, Rick. How are you doing? Good to be here. And uh, Dr. Herman, of course, is the healthcare consultant for the city of Brockton, working with the mayor. Uh, and again, I will uh, I'll, I'll say welcome and thank you for all the work you've been doing uh, in sort of in the public health sphere in the city of Brockton, which we all know is an incredibly diverse community that has had an incredibly diverse response um, to the pandemic. Um, and you know, as employees of BAMSI, and I think around about 60% of employees of BAMSI are Brockton and surrounding neighborhoods residents, um, we're taking a real interest in what is going on within the organization in terms of how we're managing um, the uh, the safety of the people we serve. Uh, you know, we have 90 residential uh, buildings, houses uh, in the southeast of Massachusetts that have four or five individuals who have developmental disabilities and behavioral health issues, but also have complex co-occurring medical uh, disorders as well. And keeping those folks safe is the really real story of heroism of Bamsey over the last year and a half. The people that were coming in every day that were living in the programs to reduce um, infection when we didn't know much about this and people were dying in incredible, incredible numbers. I never pass up an opportunity to thank uh, those folks for keeping us afloat during during those times and I know that you were at the sharp end of that in the emergency room as well in Brockton and seeing um, the devastation and the ravaging of a, of a community um, in May in March of 2020 it just seems such a long time ago but and so there's so much that has happened since then um, but Dr. Herman, just tell us a little bit about some of the things that's been go- that have been going on in Brockton uh, and how we can get information around what the hotspots are, for instance, uh, what the advice is to folks to keep, um, to keep safe. Because we're, we, we not only work at Bamsey, but many of us are uh, you know, part of the Brockton uh, community. Sure, and I can appreciate that with Bamsey because there's so many frontline workers. And in fact, that's one of the reasons why the city of Brockton was so hard hit is because of the 100 most populated cities in Massachusetts. Brockton ranks number one in its ter- uh, share of frontline workers. And so uh, because that uh, you know placed so many people in a vulnerable situation with COVID, that COVID really took off in the city. Likewise, because of the number of nursing homes, residential uh, care facilities, uh, you know, place where people were, uh, you know, living in, under the same roof. Also, um, you know, one of the reasons why COVID took off. Now, uh, I think we do have a pretty good handle uh, just because of the vaccine program that we put in place. Um, people can always go to the City of Brockton website, uh, and there's a lot of valuable information there. It, uh, first of all, tells you where the clinics are going to be uh, upcoming, and uh, there is a daily dashboard that will tell you exactly where the, what the stats were last night at 5 o'clock, uh, and that's updated every Day And then I also post a weekly video just to kind of do sort of a week in review and let folks know uh, where we've been, uh, any, you know, significant news that's, that's happening. One um, big thing that is happening in Brockton is we are going to be having a booster clinic. So the state has designated a handful 
of regional sites in the state, and one of them uh, selected Brockton, uh, and it's going to be at the Shaw Center. So five days a week, uh, those who are eligible to receive boosters will be able to go to the Shaw Center, uh, no matter where you live, Brockton, surrounding towns, or anywhere for that matter, and get your booster shot. I know it's going to be advertised and billed as a booster clinic, but believe me, if you want to come and get your first shot or your second shot, come and we're not going to turn anyone away. If we've got the vaccine, we'll give it. You know, we'll put it in your arm. Yeah. So, uh, but but that will be uh, up and running very shortly. Do you um, do you think that Brockton is reaching people in the same way? You know, um, one of the articles that I read said there are some communities that are doing door to door, you know, visiting people and saying, here's our plea, you know, here's our public health pitch. That's happened at Brockton, right? Sure. So we've had a public health program partnering with the uh, with the state's Department of Public Health uh, since the spring of this year. That's really been multifaceted, involving uh, community-based organizations and nonprofits. Uh, that's involved canvassing, door-to-door, door-knocking, telephoning, uh, setting up clinics. Uh, we had one run where we did 48 clinics in 48 days. We've tried to go everywhere, both the big sites like uh, you know, the supermarket parking lots and the smaller sites, uh, barbershops and nail salons. Uh, and uh, you know, one of our successes has been working with the Cape Verdean community, mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, you know, we recognized very early on that the Cape Verdean population was being hit out of proportion uh, to the rest of the community in terms of illness and death. Uh, and so we worked with the Cape Verdean Association to set up a standing clinic there once a week. And that's been, I think, very, very successful just in terms of reaching out to that community. You know, I think you bring up this really good point because, you know, as we look back on this, you know, 10, 15 years from now, um, you know, yesterday I was reading about different European countries and their responses. And it's a, a little bit like an enormous Petri dish, isn't it, of, you know, of responses and, and, and mistakes that were made early. Um, how will Brockton's response be judged, do you think? And, and that might be an unfair question because I know that you're not a clairvoyant. But, but yeah. I, you know, I get the impression that, that the science has been listened to and the public health pathways have really been adhered to. No, I, yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, I can look back and look at mistakes and things I wish we would have done better or sooner. But I think, um, I think in general – uh, the city's very fortunate that uh, leadership Mayor Sullivan recognized very, very early on that this was going to be a significant issue and put together uh, a leadership team so that, um, you know, really it was, uh, you know, daily phone calls uh, t- uh, with uh, the, the leadership team uh, three times a week with the hospitals, the health center, homeless shelter, addiction center. I mean, just... Uh, lots and lots of outreach, uh, working with the school committee and uh, businesses. Uh, so I think that uh, uh, because the mayor took it so seriously uh, and really did not turn away any offer of help, whether it was you know, Department of Public Health at the state level, the National Guard and the White House at the federal level, we really benefited from lots and lots of resources that were brought to bear in the city. So I think when we look back on it, we'll say, well, you know, Brockton is challenged as a gateway city. It's challenged, you know, with uh, in terms of all of the things that make it bad for COVID, 
multi-generational households, people that don't speak English, uh, overcrowding, uh, low income, all the things, and and frontline workers, all the things that make COVID want to spread in in a a community. And yet I think Brockton rose to the challenge and really did a lot of things really well, including the vaccine program uh, of of, uh, really trying to reach out into the neighborhoods and, and get those folks who were sitting on the fence. Yeah. Two years ago, when you were in your other job, <laughs> and you were, and somebody said, you know, there's going to be something that's going to happen, and you're going to be right in the middle of it. What would you have said? <laughs> well, I, I wouldn't have said you're crazy, because I, I, I remember back in 2009 when I was uh, uh, chief of the emergency department at Good Sam and also the chairman of what was then called the Disaster Committee, which was the Emergency mm-hmm. Preparedness Committee. We were getting ready for the pandemic flu mm-hmm. of 2009, and we were really scared that the, that there was that this was going to happen. We talked about things like flattening the curve mm-hmm. and uh, N95 shortages and grocery store empty shelves. And I remember going uh, with one of the hospital administrators to the local rider truck company to rent a refrigerated truck in case we needed an overflow morgue. And so uh, it was almost inevitable that at some point it would happen. I really didn't really think it would happen in my professional lifetime. But all of the things that did happen during this pandemic, we had actually prepared for and drilled for and uh, rehearsed for uh, a decade ago. Uh, so it wasn't totally surprising, but it's a little overwhelming when it's the real thing and not a, a, a drill on paper. Yeah, yeah. I mean, looking back on it as it was happening, I think most people were just in disbelief. How could this happen? And yet, as you say, when you think of SARS, when you think of H1N1, same thing. When you, when you think of all of those dress rehearsals, it was it was coming. Um, and because we do a lot of behavioral health at this at this agency, you've been through an awful lot over the last year. We talk a lot about work-life balance. I, I'm guessing there wasn't too much work-life ba- life balance over the past year and a half. How have you looked after yourself? Well, uh, you know, in the beginning, it was just frightening. Uh, you know, I remember coming home from work from the emergency department, and, you know, I couldn't come in the house unless I stripped off all my clothes and then threw them right into the washing machine, and I got into the shower, and it was really, you know, a little bit nutty. And it was for all of us, right, you know, in terms of uh, – uh, you know, the habits that we got into. Uh, I think, you know, now, you know, myself professionally, you know, I've kind of changed my career path a little bit. I've done a lot more of this consulting work with the city and less work in the emergency department. And so uh, I think that, uh, you know, I've sort of found a professionally happy place to be able to balance that kind of work where uh, I'm able to sort of eliminate some of the stress um, from my life that was associated with the with the uh, with the emergency department shifts yeah yeah you know as we go into um, this next phase of covid and i'm still struggling how to describe what the next phase is but um you know we've been having flu shots for years um i've had mine for the last 15 years you know the reason i have have the flu shot is because i got flu in 2007 and i typical man i don't suffer with illness very well but i was so floored by it and um and i haven't had flu since flu season you know is it seems to be always flu season but 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 we're coming up on it um 
how do we look in terms of that? Because we had very little flu with the masks and everything over the past year. Right. So the answer is I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's true that last year we had no flu season, vir- virtually none. It was an anomaly of anomalies. Uh, and all of the things that protected us against COVID, the mask wearing, the social distancing, no school, uh, protected us against all the respiratory viruses, including influenza. This year, a little bit different. There are forces that want to make it a bad flu season, uh, which is that people are now getting back together, uh, schools back in session, uh, a lot of relaxing of the social distancing and masking. Uh, and uh, and the flu is out there. You know, it's in the southern hemisphere, and now it's going to be coming to us. But there's also things that you know are say that maybe it won't be such a bad flu season. There are still people that are continuing to wear masks indoors, uh, and there's a lot more awareness of respiratory illness. So hand washing going on and. Uh, you know, in the olden days, you would tough it out and go to work with a fever and a cough. And, you know, when your coworker has got the sniffles and the, you know, the cough, you'd kind of tough it out. And now you say, what in the world are you doing here? I do not want to be in the same zip code as you. Get out of here. Go home. Do not come back until you are better. And so if that kind of thing happens this year, then we may, uh, you know, we may fare well. Uh, and, of course, uh, I am encouraging everyone to get a flu vaccine just because, uh, you know, this idea of a twindemic of having a, a, a flu season and a COVID season, uh, you know, and both could be seasonal, you know, so COVID could come back again, I, I think is, you know, could be a huge public health challenge for the city. So that's why I'm encouraging everyone to get the flu shot. And the question I get asked all the time is, can you get a flu shot and a COVID shot at the same time? And the answer is yes. Exactly. When, the, when the COVID vaccine first came out you know you were we were advised to wait two weeks between the two but now it's been pretty clear they can be co-administered safely and so when you go to get your flu shot you can get your covid shot as well and vice versa so well, we encourage both of those yeah thank you very much and just a, um, a, a reminder around eligibility for booster shots Right. So right now it's, uh, I believe, 65 and older uh, and as well as uh, people who are in high risk, uh, not only medical uh, uh, conditions, but frontline workers as well. It's a little bit iffy on, you know, do you consider yourself a frontline worker? But uh, if you feel that you are a frontline worker and at risk, get your booster. Nobody's going to turn you away. So I would say for all of our folks who have been doing this work uh, and not working from home uh, over the last uh, 16 months, 17 months, get get the booster. It's available for you. Sure. I think the data is pretty clear that immunity does start to wane mm-hmm. uh, with all of the shots. And hopefully within the coming weeks, days, weeks, we'll be hearing some good news about Moderna and Johnson & Johnson as well in terms of approval for uh, those booster shots as well. Well, it's good news. And I I do think as we look back um, on what happened to the world uh, over the past year or so, um, it really is a triumph of science, this this idea of when we put our efforts as human beings into solving something, and it usually is when the whole globe is at risk, it's magical. It's absolutely unbelievable. But as we said before, we, this was a pathway towards this vaccination of work that had been done for many, many years. Um, 
And I hope um, that we get to a place where we can persuade as many people as we can that the way forward for the public health of the globe is to get as many people vaccinated as possible. Agreed, yeah. And that's not only people in the city and in the country, but really around the world because, you know, the next Delta variant, which will have a different name, uh, you know, probably is not going to originate in the city of Brockton. It will originate in some country where folks have not gotten uh, as much vaccine as we have. And, you know, somehow this virus finds its way uh, through borders, across continents, uh, and right back here. So it really is a global problem. And it's in our best interest to make sure that the continent of Africa, for instance, has more than 3% of its population vaccinated. Dr. Herman, thank you so much for coming on Humanity First. We really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you.